I don't need 24 hours. I, I don't have to talk to anybody. I know right now. And the answer's no, no. Doggone it. You sit around here and you spin your little webs and you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't, Mr. Potter. In the, in the whole vast configuration of things, I'd say you were nothing but a scurvy little spider. You... And that goes for you, too. And it goes for you, too. The Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. Check, check. What? You want to explain to the people what we're doing here? Well, you know, since uh, tomorrow's Christmas, we thought that maybe uh, we could do a a uh what do you call those audio commentary for the movie it's a wonderful life um scott i don't know if you remember the first time you saw it's wonderful life but i bet gabe remembers the first time he saw it's a wonderful life yeah i saw it in the in the 80s when it was on tv all the time it was on uh channel 66 60 channel 50 i think it was on 28 or 23 and that's when it was in the public domain. And so uh, my friend Mark Losey, we'd have this contest to see who could see, see it more. Because, you know, you could see it like up to six times a day, you know, if, if, if you really tried. And Gabe, when's the first time you saw this movie? I tried. I tried to watch it. And I watched it last night. Last night, for the first time in my life. 50 years old, I finally seen it. So, wait, you, you said you tried. Did you make it through the whole thing? Yes, I only... I mean, I'm, I'm, I sleep a lot during movies, so Here we go. I, dozed, I dozed off for a minute. Uh-huh. Uh, Heidi woke me up, and we rewound it, and I picked up where I left off. But it wasn't because it was bad, because I was tired. So last night was the first time for you? Yes, wow. first time. So uh, what'd you think, Potter? <laughs> I liked the movie, yes. I don't know where you think I'm Potter. Because <laughs> you're wearing a bald cap. You don't get pot- Potter vibes out of you? No, I'm not greedy. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't think Potter has sort of a, uh, you know, like like he would be right at home with, with the, uh, the, the, the two guys in the balcony and the Muppets? Yeah, he's a bitter old man, yes. I don't think I'm that kind of person. Do you? you mean a warped, frustrated old man? Bitter. Grumpy. I, I, I believe it's warped and frustrated. <laughs> no, I didn't see myself as him, but I did. I did. Uh, I did like the movie. It was. It was pretty. You know, I guess I should have seen it when I, when I was younger, but I never did. So I didn't know if I wanted to watch it in color or black and white. And Ben suggested oh. black and white. The 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 fact that you would ask that question just no it, no. 
I have failed you in some way, yeah. Gabe. Like, no, you know. Here's the thing. The thing is, to give you at least a little bit of, uh, you know, a shred of cinephilia. <laughs> I don't like kids. I don't do anything with kids. I'm not a cinephile like you. <laughs> you know, we uh, at the film festival about five or six years ago, we started a a, 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 a section of the festival for for kids. And it was supposed to be called, it was supposed to be called Young Cinephiles. And, and then, but the half of the staff that are not cinephiles that work at the festival were like, what, what are you, what are you talking about? You're not going to say fucking cinephile when we're doing a kid's program. <laughs> so the program is now called Big Screens Little Folks. Did, uh, awesome. did you even realize what you were doing when you were calling it that? Young cinephiles? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it didn't. I, it, that doesn't register to me as a, I mean, the, 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 that, that's as close as I've come to cancel cultures. Like, fuck that, man. Cinephile's a legit word. It is, but it's too close. It's too close. It's only like two letters off. I don't know if people listen to audio commentaries. Um, do they, they don't really do them as much as they used to, but. But uh, Ben's done a few audio commentaries, and so we're going to record <laughs> one for uh, for It's a Wonderful Life. So I guess, how do they do this, Ben? Like, But you could either just listen to it like an audio podcast, or if you wanted to, you could turn on Amazon Prime, or if you have your own copy of it or whatever, and you could play us while you watch the movie. You could sort of sync it up, like I'll give you a countdown or something, or I'll tell you, you know. I'll describe what you're seeing at first and you can like sync it up and here goes nothing. Usually I'll tell you, usually when we do these audio commentaries, uh, I only ever did them with Mike McPadden and we would, I mean, we, I would watch the freaking movie like five times before we would do it. And we'd have all these notes and stuff. And, um, anyway, anyway, no, Gabe, you probably took tons of notes last night. Couple. All right. So, so we thought, uh, it's Christmas Eve Watch the movie with us, like, uh, it, like a, like an audio commentary, or maybe a mystery science theater type of thing. If 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 everything goes south, all right, Gabe, are you ready? Yes, but I'm gonna blame Scott because this is Scott's idea, <clears throat> and we almost bailed out of it at the last minute. But we're gonna do it, because, and we're gonna do it to our best of our ability. Because you didn't watch it, you were supposed to watch the movie, and you didn't watch it. No, I watched it before the show, like I said I would. Mm-hmm. But we were going to do it yesterday. Right. And you're no, like, what? I didn't watch it yet. Well, we normally record on what they call yesterday. I, who is getting the texts that we were all getting? Who's Gabe in our in our text chain? Is that know, not you anymore? Gobstopper or something. <laughs> you, had, you had some other guy on the thing. I, I think I Gabe, Gabe is that TJ Maxx bag. It was a Seinfeld reference. It was the bell tolls for the gross part. Okay. <laughs> But my my computer is on Eastern time, so I think when you said nine, I thought it was seven, my time because it was nine your time. That's why I messed up probably. Okay, Gabe. But Come I on. didn't say I said six slash eight, so there were no sevens and no nines in that text. I don't think your text automatically changes the time zone. <laughs> I don't remember seeing a six and an eight. I'll tell you the truth. I saw a seven. <laughs> I saw a seven and a nine. All right, go back and check afterwards. All right. All right, everybody ready? We're ready. Three, two, one, boom. I thought you were going to do one, two, three, go. 
One, two, three, go. Here we are. Liberty, Liberty Films presents. Liberty Films presents It's a Wonderful Life from 1946. We're 10 uh, minutes from... I watched this movie this afternoon. We're 10 minutes from the first time that I cried. You know what? For a while there, uh, I wouldn't cry until Gower slaps his ear. That's but, the 10-minute uh, mark. You know what? I usually tear up right away. Right about right now is when is at the point I tear hey, up most times. Is that times, Drew, so. that Drew Barrymore's granddaughter, grandson, grandfather? That is Drew Barrymore's yes. great uncle. She is from a long line of... Barrymore's, Hol- yes. Hollywood royalty. That's right. It's the great uncle of Drew Barrymore. So this movie turned 75 the other day on the 20th. And, Gabe, it was not a hit when it first came out, which uh, famously... Um, it took years it for it to get, be the hit that it, it is. Although it was nominated for Best Picture. So I feel like that it whole it was a bomb thing is a little bit overdone. Well, I mean, it, it came out just in time for it to qualify for for the awards. So because he was such a, a, a famous and successful director, I think they just sort of nominated it without almost sight unseen. You know what I mean? Oh, you got the sure. captions on. I didn't have the captions on last night. Well, because I don't want to crank the volume, and so Scott suggested captions. We're watching with captions, everybody, which you could do also. That's another good thing you could do. Well, I, I think it'll help if you know, yeah. we're not listening to it. Right. For my money, this is... Uh, it changes all the time, but this is usually my favorite movie ever made. And if I'm honest about it. And uh, it's usually tied with this and Goodfellas, which is interesting because I think this movie and Goodfellas, Goodfellas. well, I think these (laughs) two movies have a lot in common, like right away, right here, the the movie starts in the middle, the same with Goodfellas and you've got a bunch of voiceover and then they're going to go back to the beginning and it's a bunch of sort of like episodes. They're, They're connected, but they're kind of loosely connected. And it all adds up to this, to this life. Did you guys have a, a planetarium in Zion or anywhere near it? Because this opening sequence always reminds me of going to the planetarium when I was a kid, and and, and tilting my chair all the way back and you just stare up at these fake stars. We didn't have a planetarium in Zion. We have one in Chicago, and I still haven't gone, which is oh wow weird because it seems like it'd be right up my alley. So, Gabe, at this point in the movie, were you like, what is this shit? (laughs) It looks like a sperm and an egg out there, but yes, I was trying to figure out who was who, who was talking, and all that kind of stuff, yes. It does look like an embryo. It does look like one of those ultrasounds. Um, The main godlike or or head angel or whoever that main guy is. Is it Gabriel? Thank you, sir. Does he call him Gabriel? I don't know, but it's not the only reference of Gabriel in the movie, by the way. If you're talking about Gabriel. Yeah, it's Gabriel. That's Gabriel. I think Gabriel is the tough guy on the lower right. So you think the sperm is a god? I don't see a thing. Yeah. Uh, The embryo. Now look, I'll help you out. Concentrate. Looks like that little uh, whatever it is on the cover of that Seeger Rose record. amazing. (laughs) Okay, see, so now it goes to the beginning of mm-hmm. his childhood as a boy. 
For, every, for as long as he can remember, he always wanted to be a gangster. Who's that? That's your problem, George Bailey. This now, kid I, is terrific, I, I think. Yeah, he's also in... Is he in The Bishop's Wife? He's in a couple of Christmas be, movies. Yeah. His name is Bobby Anderson. Does he have The Bishop's Wife? He was in The Grapes of Wrath. Uh-huh. Uh, he was in A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And he was in... The Bishop's Wife. That's it. He was also in A Place in the Sun. And his last movie was Tales of Wells Fargo in 1959. I don't know. And he did, but he, he did not die young. He died at, at the age of 75. So I think he just retired from acting at an early age. I think he kept working in Hollywood and other jobs, right? Uh, he worked as a line producer and a production consultant for films such as Passenger 57, right. Demolition Man, right. and Heat. Heat. Yep. Heat. Heat. Worked on Heat. Right. Wow. The richest and meanest. Here's Potter. Is that a king? I don't know, but these kids remind me of the little rascals, I'll tell you that. There's a little bit, and you'll get a little bit more of that later. Go to work, slave. That's what I say to Justine every day when she goes to work. <laughs> this movie is long. It's two hours and ten minutes, which just feels long for the top for the time that it was made. Right. But it's so economical. Like there's not a wasted minute in this movie. No. And every scene is great. I mean, it's really just a collection of great scenes. I forget which yeah. director said that that's what a movie is. Yeah. Maybe it was John Ford or something like that. But that's all this thing is. Uh, the connective tissue between the scenes is very minimal but um it's just one great scene after another and at some point in my fandom of the movie i think every scene has been my favorite at one time or another mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know her whispering into his bad ear is certainly one of the great moments in the film and certainly the highlight of this scene i like this yeah don't you know where Say brainless when he calls her brainless. Look at here. That's one of the things I love about the movie. You know, he calls her brainless. The mother calls the sons idiots. Uh, th there's a certain everyone has and this acerbic sense of humor in the movie. Uh, maybe Mr. Potter has the 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 most acerbic of anyone, but but maybe that's why the movie came with those stupid PG-13 ratings because. Mm. It teaches kids to be assholes. Yeah, there is one. I said I was asking if there were any like sort of ethnic slurs, and he does call. There is one. Somebody yeah. calls them garlic eaters. Or garlic eater. Yeah. yeah. No, sir. But this there's Bobby Anderson. Of, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. There's a lot of anti-Italian uh, sentiment going on in this movie. Yeah. But this Bobby Anderson kid, he doesn't look like Jimmy Stewart. He doesn't particularly sound like Jimmy Stewart, but I totally buy that this is Jimmy Stewart as a kid. It mm -hmm. feels like he's studied Jimmy Stewart's mannerisms and the way he speaks, and he's got his kind of cadence down. Is yeah. this kid still, is he still alive, the kid? I don't think no, so. No, no, he died in uh, Do you want something? Anything? Uh, 2008. Oh. Did he do anything else? Oh. Yeah, we just talked about it. <laughs> You gotta keep up, Gabe. We can't go back. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to watch, listen to this uh, later. 
apparently there was some music for this scene and maybe the other scene where he gets mm-hmm. his ear slapped by Capra's longtime composer, Dimitri Tiamkin. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, and uh, Capra cut the music out of these scenes, which was obviously the right move. But uh, it pissed Dimitri off so much that he never worked with him again. A lot of people got pissed off with Capra over this movie. A lot of his collaborators. Yeah, who else? The screenwriters were like, this, fuck you. This is one of the rare movies that has like four or five screenwriters uh, and actually works. Yeah. How much love do you got for Eustace? He's the best. So, Gabe, did you cry uh, during this section of the movie when you watched it last night? Not this section. We're barely 15 minutes in the no, movie. No, I know. And I was, that's what I was thinking, Scott. I was thinking the first time you watch this movie, it's probably not as affecting as every other time you watch it. Because right. once you know right. what's happening, then it's like nonstop waterworks. Nonstop. Yeah. But, yeah, the scene where he gets his ear smacked is... Well, not my children. <laughs> Everything he says <laughs> strikes me as funny. And let's just call attention for one second to Potter's henchman, who doesn't yeah. have a single line of dialogue in the movie, but... <laughs> Is perfectly answered. You could, you know, the 25th time you watch this movie, you could just watch him in every scene he's in and just enjoy him. <laughs> Look at him when he reaches out. Yeah. Don't touch that chair. It's <laughs> the most animated he gets the entire movie. Okay, son, I'll talk to you tonight. What? So, did you cry when this scene comes up, Gabe? No, <clears throat> I have Good no thing. context. I have no idea what's what's happening when, at the first time. Right. You know? Yeah, but then he starts smacking the fuck out of his ear, and that didn't affect you at all. You, you dry husk of a man. I'm not. I'm not engaged. I'm not uh, involved in the movie yet. I'm just trying to figure out what's happening. <sighs> She's crying. Yeah. If you're not engaged, if you're not engaged in the movie by this point. No, I'm not. Oh. <clears throat> I don't know the character enough. There was now, a legend going around that. That he actually did hit hit his ear, uh, and yeah. his ear bled because of that. I, I don't know if I buy that one. Though. I don't know. I was going to say exactly the same thing. I read that today, and I was like, ah, I don't know, because they're basically describing exactly what happens on screen, you know. And then they said, oh, and then the actor hugged him after the scene. I'm like, well, he does that in the fucking scene. <laughs> yeah. Well, now. <laughs> Whatever happened to make this scene happen? God bless. Because it's got to be one of the greatest scenes in all of movie history. It, it is. Mm. Now look at this scene. And tell me it doesn't have a Goodfellas thing going on. Oh, you're absolutely right with the freeze frame. That's right. You know, I don't think Frank Frank Capra, for whatever credit he gets, he doesn't get credit as being a particularly innovative or cinematic director, but I find this film to be full of fun, inventive 
cinematic things like these freeze frames. Yeah. And this there's is a couple of this is very different from his other movies. Yeah. Um, and again, those other movies were very, very successful. And and this was the first movie they had made that didn't make money. But I mean, Scorsese has never admitted. I've never read him saying anything that Goodfellas was influenced by this movie. I've seen him cite Jules and Jim and the best years of our lives, which came out the same year as this. And, and is the movie that won Best Picture. Well, those but, didn't have that structure, and those didn't have fucking freeze frames. <laughs> Jules and Jim did. Oh, Jules and Jim has freeze yeah, frames? Yeah. But, I mean, I see Goodfellas in this movie every time I watch it. And people think I'm joking. And, you know, it is kind of funny, but, but I honestly do. Ernie Burt. I feel like Sesame Street stole from this movie. Yes, but they don't admit it. Good afternoon, Mr. Bailey. But I mean, come on. It's too much of a coincidence. Are you saying, seriously, Sesame Street doesn't cop to the fact that they Ernie and Bert are named after these guys? They don't cop to it. Wow. That is a great line, by the way, that uh, Violet just said. Oh, oh, this little thing? I only wear it when I don't care how I look. There's another great line coming up right now. Family man. How would you like to Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> how would you like to take yes. Gloria Graham. When I was younger, you know, my crush was on Donna Reed. But as I've gotten older, I think I see that Violet is more my type. Really? She, so she's bad. And so is Gloria Graham. You, you know, she was married to director Nicholas Ray after they did In a Lonely Place together. She and took then, his eye out? Well, Ray, he discovered her in bed with his son, Tony. And that basically ended the marriage. But years later, she eventually got married to his son. And that was the longest marriage of her life. And they, they moved to England and did plays and stuff. And she was basically blackballed from Hollywood. Wow. And she's in more great movies than Donna Reed ever was. I'm not going to talk bad about Donna Reed while we watch this. No, no, Donna Reed is luminescent, but uh, there's something, something about Gloria Graham. I got to say, though, listen, Yes. as I was watching this, I did not understand that I'm supposed to think that the character here is in high school. Who, Jimmy Stewart? Yes. Well, he's just graduated. And he's he's been home for two years. I thought he was supposed to be in high school at this time, going to college. But you're saying he took a couple years off? He took a couple years off to, to take care of the uh, building and loan while they sent Harry to college. And then oh. Harry... No, no, no. That's what's about to happen. Sorry, sorry, sorry. He's about to, to go off and go for a year, travel abroad, and then go to college. But he's... What he so look at this guy. Look at Harry. Does he remind you of anybody? Okay, Mom. Rickness? No, he looks like that Lumiere <laughs> character in the, the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast. That, uh, that, that candle, candlestick guy. I'm convinced 
when when the, he the, come, the when animators. Harry, yeah, maybe yeah. when Watch when Harry again. comes back with his wife, he reminds me of Jimmy Kimmel when Jimmy Kimmel got skinny. Harry, with the when the younger brother comes back, yeah, I think he. Are you saying he's fat in this scene? No, I'm saying that Kimmel is normally pudgy, but he went through that real skinny phase. See, Gabe, here's where they were talking about the plan. We can rewind it. We'll go back for you. Oh, well, you know what I've always talked about. Build things. Design new buildings, plan modern cities. All that stuff I saw. Still after that first million before you say to I'll sell half that cash. See, he's funny, George. Oh, everyone's funny. Everyone's funny in the movie. He just doesn't have those powder zingers. Yeah. Now, I got to say, I don't like it when uh, Harry chases her into the kitchen and slaps her ass. I don't approve of that. Come on. Lighten up. She gets the best line in the movie at the end. Well, the best line is Harry's at the very end. That's the one that if I'm not crying, if that ha- he says that line and I am I'm a goner. The richest man in town line? That's right. But she's got the line about uh, I've been saving up for a divorce right. in case I ever get a husband. Satisfying a fundamental age. Deep in the race for a man to want his own roof, walls, and fireplace. I was just talking in, on another podcast last night about this mid-Atlantic, transatlantic accent that everyone puts on in movies. Mm-hmm. Which is not a real accent. It's just something you learn to speak that way in movies. Mm-hmm. And his father in this is doing it the whole way. It's so great. They sort of drop their R's a little bit. Yes, yes. You're right, sir. Right. In order to get rid of your uh, your local or regional accent, you have to invent this accent that nobody has. Right, it's sort of halfway British and halfway right. American, and it's, I guess that's why they call it Mid-Atlantic, because you're like meeting halfway across the pond or something. It's like all based on the way Cary Grant talks or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why, did you hear that, Annie? I heard it's about time one of you love his Pop, I think I'll get dressed and go over to Harry's party. Have a good time, son. So this pool is a real thing that was at the uh, Hollywood High School. Um, And uh, as far as a few years ago, it was still there and it was still in use. Right. But Gabe, so just to clarify, it's not that Jimmy Stewart is in high school or that he's graduating high school. He has already graduated. He just just graduated. No. Fuck. No, I don't think that's right. He's just about to finally go to college, but he didn't just graduate high school. Okay, so I was right the first time. Right. It makes sense, but there's another thing that happens in this section here that kind of freaked me out to, to show me that he's a lot older than most people would be at this age, is what I'm trying to say. Well, what's the other thing that happens that freaks you out? I can't say it until it happens. Oh, there's Violet again. You're starting now, to see it, aren't you? Do me a favor, will you, George? 
Marge. What's that? Well, you remember my kid sister, Mary. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'm gonna want you to marry me. Dance with her, will you? Oh, me? Oh, I feel funny enough already with all these kids. Oh, come on, be a sport. Just dance with her. One yeah, he's calling everyone kids. He's older. Right. Okay. I'm not being one person. The next thing I knew, some guy came up and tripped me. That's the reason why I came in fourth. If it hadn't have been for that, that race had been a cinch. I tried to find out who it was. The West Side Story stole something out. from this Nobody movie. Nobody'd ever tell you who, whoever, whoever it was because it'd be scared. <laughs> so the guy telling the story is Alfalfa, speaking of the little rascals. Yes, when I saw Alfalfa, he looks just here. like my nephew. <laughs> I'm thinking, this guy's 50 and the other guy's 12. <laughs> you get, have you ever heard a suspension of disbelief? Jimmy Stewart had just come back from World War II. Give the guy a break. All right. Not to get us down this this side track rabbit hole, but I spent most of the movie today, now that I learned that Jimmy Stewart was wearing toupees for most of his career, trying to figure out... Why did you bring that up again? I'm sorry. Never mind. I find that so upsetting. This movie, I feel like it's got more close-ups than most of the movies in the 40s at this time had. And he, I think there's... Every scene's got at least one camera angle that I'm like, this is such a cool camera angle. And the shot that's coming up where Alfalfa and the other guy are watching them dance from behind that bar. And that bar is what's in focus. And the two of those guys in their profiles, I think, is such a beautiful shot. Yeah, it's a really great-looking movie. And... and uh, you know, when I first became a fan of it, you know, it was really shitty looking yeah. public domain cassettes and right. they would use those cassettes to broadcast it on television. And it just, it was really hard to appreciate how visually beautiful it is. Yeah. Here's something that's funny. When he comes up to him and says, what's the matter, Othello? For years, I thought it was, what's the matter, fella? And it was only mm-hmm. this year that I realized it was Othello. And not only that, but according to what I'm looking at, Othello is this character's last name. Right. I thought it was just a Shakespeare reference. Uh, right. I know. And apparently this guy's name is supposed to be Freddy Othello. Right. <laughs> but what's Alfalfa's real name? His what is real name is Carl Alfalfa Switzer. Carl Switzer. <laughs> so you're saying they named his character after his middle name? Well, Alfalfa's in quotes, so I think it's just, like, became his nickname. Now, am I wrong, or isn't the legend that Carl Switzer was an asshole and died young in, like, a knife fight in in or outside (laughs) of a bar? He he died. Someone did stab him because he owed him money. He owed him money. (laughs) That's not true. That is true. I don't think so. It's in Wikipedia. It's in Wikipedia. I think he kept, uh, kept working. No, I think he died. Or I, well, okay, let me look. No, 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 no. You're that's the guy that that's he Mikey. Fa- he no, ate no. a bunch of pop rocks and no, he, no. he died. Carl Switzer was fatally shot by an acquaintance in a dispute over money in January 1959. You mean Schweitzer? Schweitzer, 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 Schweitzer. Probably the most slapstick scene of the movie, right? 
can't you come out tonight? Can't you come yeah. out tonight? Oh, yeah. Buffalo girls, can't you come out tonight? Can't So, Gabe, did you know before watching this last night that that, that that this is the movie Scott had named an album after? Yes, I did know that. And, and I started to see the references of things like the album cover and the George Lasso's The Moon picture that's on his wall somewhere in the house. You mean you're talking about this? Yes. <laughs> Where'd you get that, Scott? Uh, a friend of ours, Heather, she uh, she had her sister. It, it's uh, needlepoint. Needlepoint oh, wow. stitching, yeah. Just like in the movie. Oh, is the thing in the movie needlepoint? I think it is. That. I think but it the, is. The question I had is that line from the song they were singing, that's at the end of a TV show, but I don't know what TV show it was. Oh, it's, they used it for uh, the end of um, My So-Called Life. Because they... And dance by the light of the moon. They play that at the end of every episode of My So-Called Life. Was it? I think it's, I think it's actually. I th- I think it's a production company that uses it. So it's not just My So-Called Life. It's every show that. that but that's where Gabe would have seen it. Oh well, yeah, of course. There's a Bedford <laughs> Falls product production company. Okay. Uh, I think I, I don't know if they had it going for thirty something, but if they had, you would have heard it at the end of thirty something as well. No, you see, you make a wish. All right, Winnie Holzman. That's right. There's a great line. In that house? I wouldn't live in it as a ghost. What'd you wish, George? Well, not just one wish, a whole hat full. Yeah, this is this is a great scene. And next year and a year after that, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm gonna see. And he looks pretty good in that shirt. Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. Seems like it would be a good stage costume for you at some point. Could be. I'd rather wear it, wear what she's wearing, though. Sure. <laughs> Everybody would. You gonna throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. You would think that somebody would have cashed in on those Bedford Hall, Bedford Falls High School uh, robes at some point and sold them. Or throwing rocks. Bedford High School throwing rocks. Oh, yeah. Here comes the line. Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the move, all right? I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it. And it all dissolves, see? And the moon beams it. See? See? <laughs> when did this movie I mean, hook you, Gabe? At what point last night were you sort of hooked? I was in there, in here for sure. I, I knew I was going to watch the whole thing by this time for sure. I can't imagine watching this scene in color or the, the final the final 30 minutes for that matter. You're going to watch that whole thing, that whole Twilight Zone section in color? What kind of freak would do that? Well, it seems like if if any if the guys doing the colorization had any brains at all, they would have at least 
uh, had that section be in black and white at the end. Yeah, but see what you did there? You, Is that you, something you, in our brains? Yeah, yeah. you said that <laughs> colorization guys, yeah. their job involves brains. Not only that, but from what I heard, they were like really shady. And, and uh, Capra originally was sort of into mm-hmm. the idea of colorizing it. And he yeah. gave them money to do it. And then once they find, found out that they didn't need him, they gave the money back and cut side deals and cut him out of it. Yeah. So no respect for art as well as no respect for, you know, your word or you know, just awful. Bunch of potters, basically. Without the humor. Right. I mean, one of the, one of the thing that makes this movie so great is... Even though it's a Christmas family fantasy drama, it's such a film noir. You know, you pull those fantasy elements out of it, and it's like one of the darkest, most amazing, complete film noirs ever. And so black and white, the, the black and white, the dark, I mean, those silhouettes, when he goes back to his house and it's abandoned and you see the uh, Ernie and Bert in silhouette, I mean, yeah. that's the, some of the greatest film noir cinematography I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't find this movie corny. I don't find it kitschy. I mean, I, I, I'm with this movie 100%. And, and I think all the emotion in the movie is just, you know, just full throttle. And, and that's kind of why I, I really can't I, I never laugh at that at this movie for any reason like you know oh that's corny it just doesn't it's not the way I watch this movie no it's not corny Therefore, Mr. Chairman, I make a motion to dissolve this institution and turn its assets and liabilities over to the receiver. So one of the really fun things about watching this movie every year is trying to figure out which right-wing asshole uh, Potter reminds you of the most, you know. Uh, for years, I'm sure it was, that changes all the time, right? It changes all the time. For years, it was, it was uh, Dick Cheney for me. Yeah, sure. And I think the one that, you know, most people seem to get now is, of course, Trump. Yeah. Except Potter doesn't have the vanity of Trump. I mean, he, he, Potter's got no time for silly comb-overs and spray tans. He's like 100% business. He doesn't care who likes him or anything. And, you know, and of course, his sense of humor is way sharper. He's also smarter and more scheming. Yeah. But he doesn't have the vanity, so that makes, in my book, makes Trump worse. I mean, I don't understand how anyone on the right could be a fan of this movie. It's, it's a screaming commercial for socialism. Well, I was reading today that the, some shit about what, the FBI investigated it because they, they felt like it was secretly like, you know, communist propaganda. Yeah, you're right. They're investigating two guys that came back from World War II, you know, uh, put their careers on hold to serve their country. And that's the thanks they get. It, it blows my mind. 
all because a few starry-eyed dreamers like Peter Bates. I mean, this movie has done more to shape my politics than any politician or anything like that. And it might be naive, but... You're right when you say my father was no business. But I mean, you know, when, when Jimmy Stewart gets into this and, you know, does his righteous indignation in, 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 does his righteous indignation and the stuttering better than anybody ever has I mean he just it's just all there and they're still having this argument look at look at Potter completely unimpressed now it's watching today I was really depressed at how fucking timely this movie is right now yeah it always is and I'm always dreaming of a time when it won't be as relevant, but... <laughs> Look at him. Remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. That's right, damn it. I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan. I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on, and it's galling you. That's what you're talking about. I know. Well, I, I, I just said too much. I, you're the, you're the board here. You do what you want with this thing. There's just one thing more, though. This town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can come without crawling to Potter. Come on. I mean, it's one of the great speeches in the movie and then what does Potter say <laughs> he also he also holds on to what has been said about him of course and he turns it back on Jimmy Stewart later in a way that's not untrue right Jimmy Stewart is a warped frustrated young man right. in this movie yeah you know, I mean, one of the reasons possibly that this movie didn't connect with, with people was audiences at the time were having a hard time accepting Barrymore as Potter because people loved him for his work as Grandpa Vanderhoff in uh, another Capra movie, You Can't Take It With You. Yeah. And, you know, he was com the com a complete 180 from Potter, and I think people kind of like... But this movie, years later, would change that People eventually came around because I think he ended up doing some radio plays where he was Scrooge. I think that those radio plays where he was Scrooge was that were actually even before this, but but so. that wasn't that wasn't on screen. So you're right. I think he was mostly thought of as lovable. I thought it was after this. I could be wrong. But what happened to George? George got four years older, waiting for Harry to come back and take over the building and loan. Now, there are plenty of jobs around somebody likes to travel. Look at this here. Venezuela oil field. Now, in, Wikipedia says Lionel Barrymore, who eventually won the role, was a famous Ebenezer Scrooge in radio dramatizations of A Christmas Carol at the time and was a natural choice. Strike everything I said. <laughs> Breakfast but he wasn't Capper's first choice. Capper looked at Edward Arnold... Edgar Buchanan, Raymond Massey, and Vincent Price. Imagine Vincent Price. That's a much younger wow. Potter. That's a, that's a, 
Well, Potter wasn't as old as he looks in this movie. I mean, right. Barrymore wasn't as old right. as Potter. Okay, this is where I think this dude looks like Jimmy Kimmel in this scene. Who did you say you think he looks like? Well, when he's got the plates on the top of his head, he, he oh, looks right, like right. The, uh, plates. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the butler candlestick right. in Beauty and the Beast. Right. Pull it up, look at a picture, and tell me that those guys weren't thinking that when they designed that character. No, no, I know exactly what you're saying. I didn't realize that's what we were talking about, though. <laughs> it's always funny to see what's his name, uh, Uncle Billy, in other movies right. where he's not lovable, where he's like, you know, play some dark characters. That's yeah. the harder thing for me to wrap my head around. Thomas Mitchell. Yeah. This, uh -oh, that, this that I look. find to be a wonderful cinematic shot. This thing doesn't feel like most movies from the 40s. Look at this. Where the camera pans with him. Yeah, they're going to re repeat this shot yeah. later on after he freaks out on his family. Yep. So the best picture Oscar nominees this year, uh, it was this, Best Years of Our Lives, which ended up winning, Henry V, The Yearling, and The Razor's, the Razor's Edge. With Tyrone Power from uh, Nightmare Alley. That's right. Which would be, which also would be remade later with uh, Bill Murray. Yep. You know, I mean, you could make, you could make arguments for all those movies, but uh, none of them, not even Best Years of Our Lives, has the reputation that It's a Wonderful Life has today. And that's, I mean, that happens every year, right? Yep. So that another urban legend about this movie, that scene was supposed to be a technician knocking over a bunch of equipment and Uncle Billy ad-libbed the I'm all right line saving the scene. Now, I don't know if I buy that one either. I buy that one. It's easier to buy them blood coming out of the kid's ear, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at the way his eyes sparkle. I mean, uh, or don't. I, I don't have a man crush or anything. <laughs> It's amazing how, how like when he it? sees how the world is, could be without him, like how much different she looks. Yeah. It's almost like two different actresses. Yeah. The same thing with, with Gloria Graham. Back from school? Mm. Came back three days ago. Mm. Nice girl, Mary. Mm. 
kind that'll help you find the answers, George. Hmm. Oh, stop that grunting. Hmm. Can you give me one good reason why you shouldn't call on Mary? Sure, Sam Wainwright. Hmm? Yeah, Sam's crazy about Mary. Well, she's not crazy about him. Well, how do you know? No, wait, wait. Crazy about Mary. Well, then how do you know? Well, I got eyes, because there's something about her? Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite performance in this movie, Gabe? The guy that just walked into the thing and fell over? I kind of liked his character a whole lot. What was Uncle it? What was, which, yeah, I kind of liked his character a whole lot. You know, he kind of... I was impressed. I usually aren't. I'm not... Have you ever seen a uh, Jimmy Stewart movie before? Just point me in the right direction. I wouldn't say I've done it on purpose, maybe as a kid, but no. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what Jimmy Stewart movie you would have seen. Harvey? No. Rear Window? No, but as we were watching this last night, hiding me, hiding I or whatever... We were talking to each other like, yes, you see? <laughs> it it kind of rubs on you. Yeah, see? <laughs> yeah, baby. We'll wait for you, baby. Hello, George Ford. What? Hey, um, what gives? Nothing. Where are you going? Oh, I'm probably end up down at the library. Georgie, don't you ever get tired of just reading about things? Yes. What are you doing? <laughs> are you game vibe? Let's make a night of it. Oh, I love it, Georgie. What do we do? Let's go out in the fields and take off our shoes and walk through the grass. Huh? Then we can go out <laughs> There's a green pool up there. And we can uh, swim in it. Then we can climb Mount Bedford and smell the pines and watch the sunrise against the peaks and we'll stay up there the whole night and everybody will be talking. There'll be a terrific scam. Georgie, what about have you gone crazy? Why, walk in the grass in my bare feet. Why, <laughs> <laughs> 10 miles up to Mount Bedford. <laughs> Surrounded by a group of people. Everyone has heard. What a freak George Bailey is. I think this scene coming up is the sexiest, most romantic scene ever in movies. It's pretty erotic. What are you doing? Picketing? Oh, Mary. I just happened to... It's also very funny. Yes, so I noticed. Have you made up your mind? How's that? But if you ever want to show somebody a visual representation of sexual tension, just show them the shot of them sharing the telephone. The chemistry is off the charts. I didn't tell anybody. I just went for a walk. I happened to be passing by here. What, what do you... Uh, for a walk, that's all. You know, and this is one of those scenes where... Uh, I, I don't know if he's warped, warped yet, but, I mean, he is very sullen and uh, not always the, the easiest guy to like. There it is. Okay, but that's not needlepoint. But maybe that's just the blueprint for a needlepoint. Strike everything I said. <laughs> well, are you coming in or aren't you? Well, I'll come in for a minute. But I, I, 
I mean, what a great piece of business with this gate. It's crazy how how packed every scene is with beautiful details like that, and then how packed this movie is with amazing scenes like this. Yes, it's almost... You could almost say it was finely drawn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought you would go back to New York like Sam and Angie and the rest of them. Oh, oh, I worked there a couple of vacations, but... I don't know, I guess I was homesick. Homesick? For Bedford Falls? <laughs> yes. My family and... everything. Would you like to sit down? And one of the reasons why uh, I first started to become a fan of Dave Kerr was he was one of the first critics where I, that really, I felt like got this movie the way that I, I did. And his capsule review in The Reader was uh, always something I could point to and go, see, this movie isn't just you know, pap and saccharin. Uh, he writes, the film Frank Capra was born to make. This 1946 release marked his return to features after four years of turning out propaganda films for the government. And Capra poured his heart and soul into it. Goes on to talk about the, the, the plot and blah, blah, blah. Um, wonderfully drawn and acted by a superb cast and told with a sense of image and metaphor. The use of water is especially elegant that appears in no other Capra film. The epiphany of movie sentiment and a transcendent experience. Well said, Dave Kerr. Mm -hmm. It's George Bailey, mother. George Bailey? What's he want? Yeah, it finally occurred to me today that, oh yeah, there's this rhyming thing where he starts by saving his brother from drowning in ice cold water. And then is saved by Clarence by saving Clarence from drowning in that ice cold water. Like I never right. put those two things together before. Right. And there's uh, a scene coming up next using rain uh, with the, the run on the bank and, and how, how, uh, how sinister it is. And then later on, as it's raining and they, they move into the, uh, the old house, and the rain suddenly, it's, it's not sinister at all anymore. Right. And there's also them falling into the water at the dance. That's right. Mary, he's waiting. <laughs> Hello? The mother is, is, uh, is great. The, the, these three performances, even what's his name on the phone? They're all so brilliant in this scene. But the two of them in this close-up that's coming up. It's actually two different close-ups, but they're both great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I was in high school, this was my absolute favorite scene in the movie. Well, just a minute. I'll call him George. He doesn't want to speak to George, you idiot. He doesn't want to idiot. You're right, the parents are constantly calling kids idiots. Well, George Bailey-Ofsky. Hey, a fine pal you are. What are you trying to do, steal my girl? Is that a Polish joke? Maybe there are, maybe there are racial slurs all throughout this movie. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen any... Well, I guess that could be... 
I am not. I am not. That was, <laughs> that was Mark Losey's favorite line. <laughs> yeah, we had a competition uh, a couple of years in a row to see who could watch the movie more than the other. So we'd compare notes about how many times, you know, oh, I've seen it six times. Oh, I watched it eight. And then you'd go home and try to beef up yeah. your numbers and pretty sure you got it. And the next day I'd come back and he had seen it at least one more time than I had. I couldn't catch him. I bet you that Dimitri Tiomkin wrote a score for this scene. Uh, so fuck Dimitri Tiomkin. He didn't right know here. what the fuck he was doing. You remember that, uh, that old tool and machinery works? We- you Sounds Greek. For a song and all the labor he wants too. Dimitri, yeah. Oh, yeah. Work when they close down. No, Tiampkin. Oh. <laughs> He's definitely a feta cheese eater. <laughs> Money, yeah. Well, I was little. So this movie fell into the public domain in the 70s. So Through a clerical we- error. Right. So were you aware of watching it, Ben, in the 70s on PBS? Yeah. I I was aware of watching it. I feel like there was a... They would show it yearly on Thanksgiving. I thought on NBC for some reason. No. That didn't start until the 90s. when they. Oh, okay. So before that, it was PBS. So I guess... PBS was the first one to jump on it. And then the, that practice, and I guess they started in 76. And that's kind of when it started to like, the movie started to gain a new rep- reputation that even Capra was aware of. Right. He was, um, and then it spread in the 80s. Yeah. And so it was like non-PBS stations. And that's when I started getting into it. I definitely saw it in the 70s. So I probably saw it on PBS. Yeah, look at Mary's mother. She's <laughs> bawling her eyes out. <laughs> they got rain here too. That's rice. It's gonna rain. Yeah, I think it's, it looks like it's, rain. I, it's. I think it's rain too, right? They're not all. Oh yeah, they got. Yeah, they got because of the rice. Yeah. yeah. Or is it just rice? It looked like rice, but now you can see that rain. Yeah, if they yeah, if they're wearing rain. all that shit because of rice, they're being being overprotective. Annie, we're just two old maids now. You speak for yourself, Missy. <laughs> if either you two see a stranger around here, it's me. Hey, look, there's somebody driving this cab. Bert, the cop sent this over. He said to float away to Happy Land on the bubbles. Oh, look at this old bird. By the way, uh, where are you two going on this here now, honeymoon? Where are we going? Yeah, this this section or this episode of the film is is my favorite. My favorite part. We're going to shoot the works a whole week in New York. I just love everything about it. And, and, And his whole... Stewart's performance and trying to keep everybody calm. Uh, I think that's his best work in the movie. As far as you know, as far as the scenes where he's he's making the big speech, that's my favorite one. And and the rain is is just so great. Over there at the bank, George. I've never really 
seen one, but that's got all the earmarks of being a run. And the nostalgia in 1946 for the, the Depression is interesting. The stock market crash, I should, I should say. And yeah. I think it's really important that she winds up being the one to think of their money and say, I've got this 2000 bucks here. Yeah, look at that. Chat. So that it's not all him. That they really are in a a partnership, a relationship. Right. She, well, you know, she doesn't want to leave Bedford Falls. You know, she's completely happy where she is. Well, but she's excited to go on this honeymoon. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a honeymoon, man. You can't... You're not going to begrudge her a honeymoon, are you? No. What kind of Mr. Potter are you? Well, fate begrudges her a honeymoon. They never do have a honeymoon, do they? Well, she got the honeymoon she wanted in the old Granville house. That's true. Why don't you all sit down? Here, there are a lot of seats over there. Make yourself at home. George, can I see you a minute? Holy mackerel. That's, that's something else I say all the time. This, this is a pickle, George. This is a pickle. My wife gets freaked out when people are in financial trouble in movies. Do you guys get that? Look at how, <laughs> look at how slimy and funny he is in the scene. <laughs> are you all right? Do you need any police? George, I am going all out to help in this crisis. I have just guaranteed the bank sufficient funds to meet their needs. They will close up for a week. I mean, you kind of see this a lot these days where um, it's happening on that show, uh, The Morning Show. They're kind of like, you know, setting scenes at the beginning of the, the pandemic. But it's, it, 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 it is interesting for me to think of most of the people watching this movie in 1946 had lived through the Depression and do remember where they were on the day the stock market crashed and what kind of feelings that this scene might have brought brought up in people you know yeah i mean nostalgia of course isn't the right isn't quite the right word but you know it's i guess some kind of nostalgia right Right. No, but you're right that the context of this movie coming out in the 40s and everyone seeing it, having lived through what we're seeing on screen, is so different than watching this movie for the first time in the 70s and not knowing, you know, not living through these times and try. And so there's an extra level of trying to understand the context of this scene. Right. But I don't. I don't. I, I wonder. Um, not, not to say that I was stupid in high school, but I, I wonder how much of the context I really got in this scene as opposed to the context that I get now. 
Oh, by the way, I didn't. I never thought of it. Like I, until you said it, I was like, oh, oh yeah, okay, this is taking place during the depression. Like I have always thought of this plot element is I'm always trying to figure out wait what did Potter do to kick this off because I'm always thinking it's like his personal scheme that he did right. something with the bank that then triggered this and no it's like the, the events are you know the bigger world events you know it's like right know, and he's just taking the war, advantage of it right yeah. yeah like Dr. Shivago what do you say Right. Mom, you have to stick to your original agreement. Now give us 60 days on this. Okay, thing. Randall. Are you going to Potter's? Tom is a real dick. Yeah. But he comes through at the end with a couple of shekels. <laughs> he, sure, he sure does. <laughs> now listen to me. I, I beg of you not to do this thing. If Potter gets a hold of this building and alone, there'll never be another decent house built in this town. He's already got charge of the. Look bank. at the guy next to Tom. Line, I love that guy. Yeah. Why? Well, it's very simple. It's like Joel Gray. On his business. That's why. Because he wants to keep you living Joel in Gray? And paying the kind of rent Yeah, from side. Cabaret. Joe, you had one of those water <laughs> houses, didn't you? Well, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what he charged you for that broken down shack? Here, Ed, you know, you remember last year when things weren't Ed. going so well and you couldn't yeah. make your payments? Well, you didn't Ed's, your Ed's ashamed. Potter would have let you keep it? But Can't you Tom is not. No. Here? Don't you see what's happening? I'll take Potter my 242. <laughs> And why? Because we're panicky and he's not. That's I've got $242 here, and $242 isn't going to break anybody. We've got to stick together, though. We've got to have faith in each other. But my husband hasn't worked in over a year, and I need money. How am I going to live until the bank opens? I've got Dr. Bruce to pay. I need cash. I can't keep my kids on faith. I've got to have it. <laughs> hey! I got $2,000. Here's $2,000. This will tide us over to the bank reopens. All right, Tom, how much do you need? $242. Oh, Tom, just enough to tide you over until the bank reopens. I'll take $242. That'll close my account. Your account's still here. That's a loan. I would have said fuck off forever. I got $300 here, George. All right, now, Ed, what will it take until the bank opens? What do you need? Well, I suppose... Twenty dollars. Twenty dollars. Now you're talking. Right. Thanks, Ed. That's fine. All right, now, Miss Thompson. How much do you want? But it's your own money, now, George. Don't mind about that. How much do you want? Oh, guys, that one gets me. Here, here it comes. The walls are coming down. You pay when you can. That's okay. Here, here it comes. Oh, here we go, Mrs. Davis. Bless your heart. Of course you can have it. You got fifty cents. Oh, Ellen Corby. George. She was in the Waltons. That's her only line in the movie, right? Yeah. She made it count. It was Grandma Walton. Oh, yeah? Wow. Apparently, I, I, I do believe that. This I do believe this story. Uh, she kept saying she had $17. Can I get $17? $17. And they kept redoing the scene. And... Uh, Capra whispers in her ear and says, "Say 1750 this time." So she said it, and it took uh, Stewart by surprise. And then that was the take where he decided to kiss her. Oh, that haircut on Eustace is just. <laughs> and so is Uncle Billy's haircut because he's always got hat head. Yeah. What's with this crow? <laughs> Billy likes uh, exotic pets. Do you notice a squirrel? 
Yeah, it, there's a whole menagerie at the end. It's amazing. 320 Sycamore. Well, what? Whose home's that? The Waldorf Hotel. Hotel. So here I'm going to make a pitch right now. That street light we just saw is very moon orb shaped. I want to say it's a stand in for the moon and it's George has now pulled it down to street level. Oh come on, you're reaching. He's lassoed? He's lassoed. Here he comes. Come on, they ducks? Would have been great if they'd actually gotten Hunts Hall from the Bowery Boys to do this part, because this guy's everything but the actual Hunts Hall. Gabe, are you a Bowery Boys fan? I don't think so. I've never seen it. Is that a movie? You never watched the Bowery Boys? No. Good evening, sir. Entree, monsieur. He reminds me of one of those, uh, those duck things in the water that's got the hat. This scene right there. Or maybe it's not that, but it, it's something that has a hat. Like, I don't know if it's a lighter or a cigar. Uh, Wait, what about that thing that, like, balanced that pelican kind that's of what, thing? That's or, what I was yeah, saying. That, the, yeah, that thing that The bird that thing that goes out. Back the, yes. Yep. The bird feeder type of thing. That's what it reminds yeah. me of. And what is that a poster for? It's just exotic things, you know, places George wants to go. Yeah, but there's a weird little, like, almost like the kid dressed up at the beginning of Halloween. (laughs) You know what I mean? He's in, like, court jester pantaloons or something. (laughs) Well, this movie kind of does start like Halloween. It has all the shots of houses and places that we'll see later. Ah, yeah. Was it a but, picture of Boy Blue? Maybe. I'm still I'm still loving your Goodfellas analogy, which I think oh, you're, is you're right starting on. to buy it. I, I I bought it as soon as you said it. I'm like, holy shit! Have you ever seen anyone say that before? No. And I, 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 I but I've never. I, I I was so sure I got it, and I, and I was googling Scorsese and. It's a Wonderful Life, and the only thing I could find was Best Years of Our Lives and Jules and Jim. Hmm. I love you truly, truly dear. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know. This movie, gets to me every time. And, and it's affected me in ways that, that I'm not even aware of most, or it's affected me in ways that as, as the years have gone by, I'm like, oh, that's completely because of that movie. I mean, are, are there movies that, that you've grown up with or that you've seen and they, they're kind of part of 
they're part of your DNA. And, you know, it's affected not only my politics, but my worldview, um, you know, my sense of romanticism or, you know, if I do have one, it would be everything. It, it gets it gets tugged on when, you know, I see that scene. Um, just a s sense of fairness, of fair play. It, it all kind of comes from this movie. The sense of anger that, you know, that's sort of like, you know, anger in the face of implacable odds and things that can't be moved. Just that raging against the, oh, I don't know, a machine. Can you think of a movie that's affected you in that way? Gabe? <laughs> Zapped? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean, it's, it's a little, it feels a little uh, embarrassing to try to verbalize. Um, I mean, there are certainly movies that I feel I've, that I've watched for as long as I can remember and return to at least once a year and always move me and excite me and and never get old for me and I'm always finding new things about them but the political the, the politics that you're talking about I'm trying to think if there's another movie that I can say shaped me politically I mean you know there's things like there's obvious things like uh, all the president's men right uh, network I rabbits there myself uh but I, you know, it, 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 uh, I think people think of me as a pretty cynical guy, or at least sarcastic. Um, and I don't feel that way when I watch this movie, you know? I mean, I feel pretty good about the human race most of the times. Uh, there was one showing that I went to at the music box, and I was sitting next to some little fucking asshole and I did not cry one tear at that showing and I thought you know what maybe I'm done I was so angry that the showings of this movie at the at the music box have gotten they're not what they're not what it used to be it used to be this like I you could go on Christmas Eve and the place would be like maybe half full and I could sit up front and be a 35 millimeter print Mm -hmm. And I'd sit there and have my little therapy session, cry my eyes out, and I'd leave, and I'd just I'd feel rejuvenated. And I'd, this is when I lived over by Wrigley Field, and I'd walk over to Gingerman, and my friend Dave was working there, and we'd drink Rumple Mints, and if I was lucky, it would be snowing, and you'd just get completely obliterated. And and I think they would show it again on. NBC, so I'd be able to watch it again at Gingerman, and, it, wow. and I did that for two or three years in a row. Like you know, had sort of an orphan Christmas, and I loved it. It was some of my favorite Christmases. But uh, what kind of little asshole things was the little asshole doing? All right, so th those um, and they would have it as a double feature with White Christmas, and so those screenings started to get more and more popular, and uh, and to where they are now, like. The shows are almost all sold out. They sell out right away, and they're and and it, it's almost like Rocky Horror Picture Show now. So <laughs> every time uh, 
Potter shows up, the whole crowd goes and hisses and and uh, every time there's something to do with Clarence, they they bring in bells and you know, oh, the, no. you know. Oh, so, and to me, as someone who takes this movie 100% seriously, it it kind of it rankles me, you know. Sure. Uh, and it, for the first for a while, I could get away with it, but there was one year I was like, I'm going to try to go, and it was sold out. And she goes, you know what? The ticket taker goes, you know what? But there's a free ticket. Someone's not picking up their ticket. You take it. You go in. And I was like, oh, my God, it's a Christmas miracle. You know, I was like, this is going to be the greatest screening of this movie ever. And I sit down and I'm sitting down next to some fucking Evanston, rich, spoiled fuckhead kid. And he's screaming out stuff at the movie, you know, and like he knows all the points to scream or like say, yes, sir, you know. But in between all those parts, he's on his phone or talking to his friends. And oh, I no. am freaking out. So this movie that makes me feel better about the human race, suddenly I, I, I want to kill a child. Um, <laughs> so eventually I couldn't take it anymore. I had these huge boots and I just walked out and I stomped all over his feet and he started you know, yelping out, oh, oh, hey. I was like, fuck you, kid. So I'm thinking, am I broken? Is this over? So I go home and I put it on the TV and boom, started crying right away. So it wasn't me, but but it's very hard to go see this movie with that crowd. I mean, I'm I'm glad it's sold out. I'm glad Music Box is doing well, but I can't be a part of it anymore. That's grotesque. I mean, what, what is there? An, is there like an audience participation version of Citizen Kane that people do now? <laughs> I mean, what <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> there's an audience participation uh, screenings of Sound of Music. I think there's a couple yes. of others. I mean, it's just sure. like, can we just watch the fucking movie? Do we all have to be part of every show all the time? Uh, there's the Garlic Eaters line. <laughs> you know, like playing nurse me, do nurse me, do a bunch of garlic eaters. Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter? My point. Uh, but yeah, so it, it's a major bummer. But I plan on going to see a, a screening tomorrow in 35 millimeter. And plus, they don't show it in 35 millimeter anymore. It, it, they change it to digital because none of those people give a fuck. They just want to hiss and shake their bells. But you're going to a 35 screening of this tomorrow? There's one tomorrow, uh, which is why I was hoping we wouldn't have to do this tomorrow. <laughs> Oh, okay. But uh, it's they're going to show it on 35 downtown. and uh, Not at they, the music box. Not at the music box. They stopped showing it on 35 a long, long time ago. So I was thinking, how much is 20000 a year back then compared to today's money? I mean, it's got to be like a million. It's a good question. Let's find out. 20, Thank you, Gabe. Yeah, back to the subject at hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? When does this take place? This, because I was going to say 1946, but how about the building alone? No, this is bef- is this before the war. Before the war, so it's probably 42. Oh, 42. No, no, wait. The war started 41, so this 41? would be 40, right? Let's just say 40, roughly. 39. It's the equivalent of 397 thousand dollars today. That's not a bad chunk of change. Sure, sure, sure. You go on home and talk about it to your wife. I'd like to do that. Yeah, then the 
meantime, I'll draw up the papers apart. Okay, George? One of the best handshakes ever. Look at look at their, both of their reactions. Look at, <laughs> oh, he looks at his hand. Uh. Now look at Potter. Huh? He realizes the subterfuge is not going to hold up. I know right now, and the answer is no, no. Doggone it. Doggone it. Sit around here and you spin your little webs and you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't, Mr. Potter. In the, in the whole vast configuration of things, I'd say you were nothing but a scurvy little spider. You, you. And that goes for you, too. <laughs> That's lifer's credo stuff right there, guys. For you, too. You sit here, you spin your little webs, and you think the whole universe revolves around you and your money. So the implication, well, it, it, that handshake and Jimmy Stewart's reaction to it, there's two things that I always think of. That one, Potter's hand must feel ice cold like he's just uh, <laughs> shaking hands with a corpse. Right. But also, he's then doing this whole thing with his hand like it's greasy, and then yeah. he... Puts the he he like put drives that point home by then taking that greasy hand and wiping it through his hair to like you know where where you would normally put like some grease yeah. to, to slick back your hair. He's got. Well, what about that? Is that that doesn't look like paper to me? That George Lasso's the moon one looks like that could be needlepoint. I'm gonna let you have it as a possibility. <laughs> If I'm in a position to let you have things, it, it could be. Could be. I'm gonna let you have it. <laughs> yeah, or it's just the, the very thought of it. Maybe there's nothing wrong with Potter's hands. Maybe it's you know he's got a very nice dry, talcumed handshake. It's just uh-uh. what his hand represents. I don't know. It's it's very much like when people shake Dracula's hands in movies, and they're just like, Ooh, well, that's wait. because he is dead, right? Right. But I think all of your both of your readings could be very possible, if not if not both, I guess. A clammy, cold hand. That's that's the worst. Well, I mean, Potter is a vampire. George Bailey Lasso Stork. <laughs> And the other guy is his familiar. The other guy is his Renfield. His familiar. Yeah, his familiar. Uh huh. Now you've probably already guessed that George never leaves Bedford Falls. No. No. <laughs> so is Clarence being sarcastic there? No. no. I don't think he. I don't think Clarence has any sarcasm in him. Well, I like to read it that he is. Okay. You probably already guessed that he never leaves uh, Bedford Falls. No. No, you don't say. I mean, why are we here? I'm, you know, he's about to kill himself. I'm you know, it never occurred to me that I'm going to go down to Panama. Well, did they tell Clarence at the outset that George has just tried to kill himself, or does he find out when we find out? Yes, someone is uh, about to is thinking of throwing away their greatest gift. Oh, dear, his life. Then I haven't much oh, time. Okay. okay. 1A. 1A. <laughs> now, it's interesting that because, because for all of Frank Capra's, I think, 
accurate reputation as being this patriot, this guy who just went and shot all these propaganda films, of which this section really feels like it's part of. It's interesting that in the framework of this story, Potter saying everyone is 1A is like a bad thing. You know what I mean? Like he's sending everyone off to war, which based on what we know about Frank Capra, I don't think Capra would see as like the act of an asshole. Yeah, but he, he, he he's... He's doing it in a way like, you know, he, he's not, yeah, he's in charge of the part of the war effort that should be the hardest thing to do, and that's send young men to war. But it doesn't really seem to have that effect on Potter. Everybody it's like, an interesting mm, story. 1A. Point. Hmm. Yeah. 1A. Well, here's an, an, another interesting thing is uh, uh, George Bailey doesn't go because he's 4F on account of his ear. Yeah. So I don't know even know if Gabe knows this, but one of the original ideas for Local H for the band name was 4F Ear. I, I lobbied to have the band called 4F Ear. Uh, and that did not get a lot of traction. <laughs> I did not know that. Are you saying that Local H did get a lot of traction? No, no, no I'm saying that uh, me, me uh, trying to get the band called 4F Ear... That right. There, there's not a lot of support for that one. Right, but but there was support for local H. I don't know if there. Well, yeah, we're called local H, so right. Eventually, somebody caved. <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, somebody caved. <laughs> sure. <laughs> for a hero. Congratulations. Well, I'm start calling you that, Gabe, you old seven-time son of a gun. Mother had lunch with her president's wife. Wait till Martha hears about this. What they have to eat. What they have to eat? <laughs> Harry, you should see what they're cooking up in a town for you. This guy is great. Well, they are. The Navy's going to fly Mother Look home. at him. He cannot wait to get out of there so he can spend Christmas with his family in Elmira. Uh, he's not here right now, Harry, but look, now tell I love that line. I guess they do those things. well, between you and me, Mr. Carter, we're broke. Yeah, very funny. Well, now, come right in here, Mr. Carter. Although I shouldn't wonder when you okay reverse charges on personal long-distance calls. George, shall we hang up? No, no, he wants to talk to Uncle Billy. You just hold on. Now, if you'll cooperate, I'd like to finish with you by tonight. I want to spend Christmas in Elmira with my family. I don't blame you at all, Mr. Carter. Just step right in here. We'll fix you up. They can't wait for you to show up. Did you guys have long-distance friends and relatives that you would have to spend some serious money on to talk to? Oh, my God. That was not allowed in the house. That was not something you could do. Well, good morning, Mr. The phone in my house was placed in a, in a position that it was impossible to get comfortable talking on the phone. So Are you saying that was, was deliberate? I, I mean, now that I look at it, it was very deliberate. It was in a space right next to the bathroom, in the kitchen right next to the bathroom. So you could not sit down 
and uh, you just had to do your business, and that was that. Like George had to stay at home. Not every heel was in Germany and Japan. <laughs> Did you ever see the uh, Saturday Night Live bit where uh, Dana Carvey's playing George Bailey, and I forget who plays. Uh, Uncle Billy, but he remembers what he did with the money. And so th- they go find Potter and they all beat the crap out of him. I don't know if I ever saw that, but that's great. It's pretty good. Because it is, if there's one frustrating thing about this movie is that Potter doesn't get his comeuppance. Does not get his comeuppance. Which, come on, evil men don't. I mean, we're, we see that all the time. Be the biggest prick on the planet. There's no justice. Come on, look sharp. Look sharp. <laughs> ben, what else was the guy who plays Eustace in? Charles Williams was his name. He was in, a, as most of the actors around this time, he was in, uh, oh my God. I mean, he was literally in, it uh, looks like, at least 300 movies. He appeared in over 260 films and television productions between 1922 and 1956. Let me see if I can pick out some highlights for you. Yeah, please. Who's that crow again? He's in Postman Always Rings Twice. Oh, who does he play in that? He plays a doctor. The doctor or a doctor? It says doctor. Carrie. I any character. Oh, it takes a lot of character to leave your hometown and start all over again. I'm not sure. Here. No. No, here. You gonna sell that hat? I know, but... Wait, what do you want to do? Hawk your furs, not a hat? He's in. A, he's got a lot of uncredited credits, if that makes any sense. So he's in movies, but he doesn't play a part. He's in movie, right? He's in movies that they list here that they say he's definitely in. He just doesn't appear in the credits. So it's like, yeah, he's a reporter, he's a football player, cowhand. He was in Atlantic City in 1944. I only know the 1980 or 81 version. Mm. I don't know if it's got anything to do with that. So, Gabe, at this point... Yes? There's that crow again. This movie's going a lot faster now on the second time around than it is the first time. The first time I was just—that's what I was going to ask you. Are, are you getting? You're, you're kind of swept up in it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and like I was saying, it takes a lot. It took a lot longer the first time to get to this part, it seemed. But now it's going pretty quick. Was that just because you kept falling asleep? No, I only fell asleep once. But I don't remember which part it was. But anyway. Uh, the only thing I noticed about the movie was the ending was kind of quick. Like, just to wrap it up at the end. But that was my first time watching it, so now i got to see it again and see how that shapes up. Well, I mean, we're basically at the point where the movie begins. Like, this is 
pretty much it. But that's not normal. Like, usually that happens earlier in a movie. This is pretty late in the movie. Unless you're talking about Goodfellas. <laughs> We're an hour and 24 minutes into this movie. We have... Um, I saw, a movie, I saw a movie the other day, and the opening credits started at 40, 40 or 45 minutes into the movie. <laughs> what movie is that? Drive My Car. Oh, it, oh we're it, showing that. It, it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Wow. And I was like, is this the movie? And then the credits started, and I was like, holy crap. I cannot believe this guy just pulled that. <laughs> Okay, here comes the squirrel, Gabe. Oh, I didn't even notice that little dog. Oh, yeah. There's a squirrel, okay. But this is that the kind of where... squirrel is a fucking great actor. This is kind of where I got a little weird about the movie. Not weird, it's just I started having feelings about the main character. Like, oh my God, he's, he's, turning, he's turning on me. <laughs> I was engaged, and then he turned on me. Yeah. No, he's... George is not... George is not perfect. And, uh... This but is probably when, the scene that most people find the hardest to stomach. But I also think there's a lot of really funny parts in this. And, really and funny, the, but also really be, touching. When he's got this yeah. little son in his lap and he's kissing him, Yeah, that's some of the best stuff in the movie right there. Right. But it also gets... There's at least one line that gets a big laugh from the audience. Um and then there's a lot of other lines that I find really, really funny that maybe some other people don't. Isn't it wonderful about Harry? His name is George. Said I had 50 calls today about the parade, the banquet. Your mother's so excited. And, you know, and I could also see a lot of people like, you know, he's got this wonderful family. What's he got to be upset about? What an asshole. Of course, he thinks that it's all going to get taken away. Notice his kid has uh, the bags under his eyes are about as big as the bags under George's eyes. Yeah. I mean, but he is being an asshole, and Clarence has to come down and show him that. Sure, but, you know, maybe his other daughter isn't really that good of a piano player, and maybe she could stop. I don't want the families over here. Why do we have to have all these kids? See this bit with the kid. Yeah, it's great. Another big red letter day for the Bailey's. Daddy, the Browns next door have a new car. You should see it. Well, what's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse you for what? I burped. You know, the rabble rousers and the uh, garlic eaters really like that line. Caught it coming home from school. I think I missed the line about Zuzu's pedals. How do you know Zuzu's pedals? They're a band, aren't they? It's true. And I just realized. I just wanted I to check out. I just wanted to check how you knew. I didn't. Well, I know the band, but I didn't know the movie reference, and now I do. There was a uh, a store of some kind on Seventh Avenue in Park Slope when I was living there called Zuzu's Pedals. George, what's wrong? Wrong everything, Troy. You call this a happy family. Why do we have to have all these kids? <laughs> I don't know. I asked your mother. Where are you going? Going up to see Zeus. You told me to ride a fleet for tomorrow. 
you know, the banister at Liars Club up to the the second floor where we were getting ready of the night, it comes off like that. And so every time I went down, it would come off. I just would do that every time I'd go down there and look at it like I was going to throw it. <laughs> Herb's like, yeah, we got to get rid of that. I'm like, you will not. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate that this is George Bailey at his worst moment, and he's still not not too bad. I mean, no. the worst of it is coming when he talks to the teacher on the phone, because that's inexcusable. But with his kids, I, I mean, I've been in these situations, and I've, I haven't been as patient as he is. I haven't been as patient as he is with that kid who who tells him he burped. Like he just sort of gives him a look, like okay, I get it now. And yeah. in this scene, he's still he's still in there. He's still yeah. in it to win it. No, oh, he's he clearly likes Zuzu. He does, he's not so sure about the other kids, right? And Especially I see that it. pianist. Yeah. yeah. Although you, you gotta wonder, Zuzu, you she watched him put the pedals in his pocket. You you watched her. She totally saw it. Yeah. So maybe she's just letting him get away with it. Like she's like, oh, totally. all right, I know you're messing with me. That's the other thing I love. Every time the phone rings, they all scream, telephone. <laughs> Come on, I'm sure you probably understand this. She's probably been in this situation a couple times, right, Ben? I've, I've, I've been in this situation. I've never had the balls to talk to a teacher like this. But the thing is, he gets his comeuppance for this conversation, and still Potter gets away clean. Right. Oh, I'll hang her. Everybody sounds like uh, Fred Merman or whatever his name is from Fred Nethel. Fred Mertz. It's Fred Mertz, that's it. Have you tried to watch that? No. Here's where he loses it. Yeah, this is definitely one of the scenes that you can point to when people just write this off as corny and no edge. Although I want to know what these headshots are doing there. Why does he have like, you know, eight by ten glossy headshots of everyone in the cast at his workstation? (laughs) (laughs) Is that what that is? It is. Look at the way that that fallen light. Yeah. You know, makes the scene, um, and, and and it's a light that you can explain, but yet yeah. dramatically, it heightens the scene. God, why, Ben? Why, why did why was every movie in the forties noirish? Was it all because of Citizen Kane, or what? What happened? It was just the. It was this. You know. I mean, it was the cinem- cinematography yeah, style on, of the day. Go on, play. Oh, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why was every movie for the last 20 years nothing but teal and orange colored? Why don't you 
Can we talk about how creepy that kid's Santa Claus mask is? Yeah, it's very creepy. I mean, now, okay, there's that scene again that you were talking about that you love so much where uh, when his brother comes back. Mm -hmm. But if you were to go back, and, and don't do that right now, but if you go back, that shot, you know, that, that follows him around, it's out of focus this time, which yeah. I, I clearly must have been a mistake. But dramatically, it, it couldn't have gone better. It totally yeah. works. You know what shot I'm talking about from earlier that you were talking about? When I his do, brother yeah. comes back. Yeah, station. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, like, that, that a perfect rhyme to that scene. Yeah. There's one with her, too. I can't remember if we've seen it yet or not, where she gets that same treatment where the camera follows her around as she's hmm. pacing her. Was it in the run on the bank scene? No. I'll look for it tomorrow when I go see it again. So would you say you've watched this movie every year since the first time you saw it? Yes. And frequently, uh, and frequently more than once a year. Yes. Some years, like this year was one of the ones where I said, all right, we're just going to put it on and just keep it running uh, almost on an endless loop. So this year I've probably seen it, I don't know, maybe five or six times. And then I watched it again today, and then uh, plan to watch it tomorrow. And then I guess I'm watching it now. So, <laughs> how do the ladies in your house feel about it? They get it. They understand. You're the only one in town that can help me. Um, you know, they're not as happy with my uh, my constant watching of uh, Eyes Wide Shut. But but they are coming around. They are coming around. They're starting to see. That Eyes Wide Shut isn't as bad as I think it is. What do you think of that movie, Gabe? I've never seen it, but the scene is pretty strong here when he has the life insurance policy, but he only has $500 equity in it. That's, that's, got, a, that's got a lot of uh, meaning behind it, you know what I mean? Like what? I don't know. I just It just hit me hard that he had a $15,000 life insurance policy, but his policy... But there's only five hundred dollars equity. Yeah, the entire insurance system is a scam. Yes. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little five hundred dollar equity in a life insurance policy. Now watch this. Look, it's this idea. Ding. And that's what's that's what's the most painful thing about this movie to me is that George actually buys into this. Right, right. The cynicism of it. Potter is dead wrong. Dead wrong. George buys it hook, line, and sinker. Dead wrong. I was just thinking about that the other day. He goes, "All right, go ahead." <laughs> You know, uh, downtown Zion on Sheridan Road, when it would snow like this, and sometimes around Christmas, we got those those uh, blizzards. Downtown Zion had a certain Bedford Falls feel to it. So there's more than a few times I've, I've ran down the middle of deserted streets while it was snowing, uh, screaming, Merry Christmas, you old building emporium. <laughs> 
Merry Christmas, you old Bailey building and loan. Now, is Fritz's Corner your martinis? Ooh. It might be either that or the other place. What do you think, Gabe? The other place, commonly known as the other place. That's right. This guy is great. Yeah, he is. He he was pretty strong in this movie. I watched it once and I, I noticed that. Well, he's a famous. Please go home, Mr. Bailey. He's also got some of the funniest lines of the movie. Bailey? Which Bailey? Yeah. This Mr. George Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to talk to my wife like that, you'll get worse. She cried for an hour. It isn't enough she's slave teaching you stupid kids how to read and write. You have to ball her out. Get out of here, Mr. Welsh. Oh, wait a minute. I want to... I love it. You know, and maybe... You know, we talked about how, like, the right... Don't understand how the right can like this. If you go by the Twitter mob, you can almost see how the left doesn't like this, you know? Because as this movie's not politically correct. Or at least not as politically correct as some people think it is. Which only makes me love it more. And I love the way everyone talks to each other. And, you know, the, the way... No, no, you know, feel... It, it cracks me up. I mean, it, it, it's, got, it's got like a nice little cynical streak to it. That bartender's name is Sheldon Leonard. His name is Sheldon Leonard. Mm-hmm. He, Capra was a big fan of his. What do you think you're doing? He, about Fred Mertz. Th- this guy's got a lot of Fred Mertz going. My yeah. grandfather planted this tree. <laughs> Ah. Hey, you. Hey, you. <laughs> is he drunk here, too? Or is he just... Yeah, he's drunk. Okay. I don't think they showed him drinking a whole lot. They just... They're assuming he's drunk. You know, it's, it's like... It's like... You know, when you've seen a movie so many times... It's like The Godfather, you know? Or Goodfellas. And, you know, the lines are funny. Lines that maybe the first time you saw it, you, it hit you a certain way, but... You know, when you're hanging out with somebody and you, you quote the movie, you, you laugh. Yeah, but in a million years, it would never occur to you to then take that knowledge of the movie and go to the movie in public and start yelling those lines out of the screen. <laughs> no. No, no, we, 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 people, people are the worst. Now this the snow. Oh, here comes the water again. That's a great shot. Jeez. But the snow, and we talked about how the movie didn't win Oscar for Best Picture, lost for Best Director, lost for Best Actor. But the one Oscar that it did win was for the snow. Yeah. Um, because all snow before this was made out of cornflakes. And... It was so noisy walking on it that they would have to overdub the sound. But this movie, uh, its innovation was the snow was made out of a compound made out of soap flakes, uh, sugar, and something. I think it's called fomine or fomide. Or, uh, 
But uh, so it won a special technical Oscar for inventing a new type of snow. Now, did you know this? Because this is something I didn't know till today and it had nothing to do with watching this movie. That they used to market asbestos as fake snow. You used to be able to buy asbestos in a box labeled pure white fireproof snow. Asbestos you, you can? Sprinkle. Yeah, asbestos you can. And in fact, that's what they used for snow in The Wizard of Oz. Asbestos? Asbestos. Is there a significance to the Mark Twain and the Tom Sawyer in here? He was an author. Well, he's got this funny line about, you should see the book that Mark Twain is writing now, Up in Heaven. Um, oh, is... I, and then and at the I end... Ne- I never thought of it that way. I was... I thought you were talking about... From the time where uh, he lived, I always read the joke as from the time where he lived, Mark Twain was writing a new book. I, you, oh, wow, I can't believe I never got it. Thank you, Ben. You're welcome. Teach me new things every day. Yeah. But then, but, but what I don't think I really registered until tonight was that the book that he finds at the end with the note from Clarence is a Mark Twain book. You mentioned Tom Sawyer, right? Yeah. And, and so, and I believe that Clarence must give it to him because he remembers that he talked about Mark Twain in this scene. All right, guys, hold on. I, I, I have a theory, Gabe, about why it's Mark Twain. Samuel Clemens was Mark Twain's real name, and he got his stage or uh, pen name, Mark Twain, from what they would say when they were on the, the river about how deep the water was. And when you think about this movie's use of water as a metaphor, maybe Mark Twain is the perfect author for a movie where water is used. And never the twain shall meet. Okay. That's no Moby's dick, but it was all right. Here's one more idea about Mark Twain. In Tom Sawyer, there's a famous um, chapter where everyone thinks Tom Sawyer's dead and he plays along and he sneaks into his own funeral and gets to hear what people say about him ah. thinking he's dead, which is sort of like George getting to see what life is like without him. Right. You know, uh, one of the cinematographers on this, I mean, this movie had three cinematographers. Yeah, which is crazy for how crazy it looks. Yes, but the main one, Joseph Walker, with all this angel talk, uh, he also shot Only Angels Have Wings, which is one of my favorites. I'm worth more dead than alive. Now, look, you mustn't talk like that. I won't get my wings with that attitude. You just don't know all that you've done. If it hadn't been for you... Yeah, if it hadn't been for me, everybody... You know, I've gone through, and maybe you've experienced this, probably not, you guys are younger than me, but I've gone through a streak of Especially Gabe. Yeah, looking at actors in movies and thinking, this motherfucker must be 80 years old and finding out that they're younger than I am at the time that I'm looking at them thinking <laughs> right. they're old. And so I got into the, a real the panic Wilford, today. The Wilford Brimley effect. Yes, exactly. But I got into a real panic today about Clarence, and I was like, how old was this dude when they made this movie? And I was so thrilled to find out that he was pretty old. He was like 72 or something. 
Because I was like, if this guy is in his mid-50s, I'm going to be depressed. Why does that freak you out? Because I, I, I look at this guy and I think, well, he looks 20 years older than I think I look, but maybe he's not. Because Well, I'm, he was in a lot of movies, too. Can you yeah. Can you pull up? Yeah, I'm, yes, I, I'm trying to find where I... I feel like he was in a Leo McCary movie. Oh, I'm sure he was. Uh, Henry Travers is our guy's name. His first film was Reunion in Vienna in 1933, and he worked through 1949, The Girl from Jones Beach. All right, here's one thing that I don't understand. Uh, A lot of people uh, criticize the movie for suggesting that if... George hadn't been born, Mary would have ended up an old maid. But what I don't understand is George not being born controls the weather because it stops snowing in this world where George hasn't been born. And when it gets back to the world that George has been born, it starts snowing again. So, come on. I mean, I know know he makes it... Yes, obviously. I think it's the film's shorthand way of telling us we're in another universe or yeah, a parallel timeline. I was try, timeline. trying to make a joke. Oh, I'm sorry. I was busy focused on He's, uh, Clarence is in Ball of Fire, which is very funny. Howard Hawks yeah. film. Clarence is in High Sierra. Robert That's Walsh right. Film. And Clarence is in Shadow of a Doubt, the Hitchcock film. That's right. Have you watched that yet this year? It's streaming. Uh, that's a film I definitely return to every year. Love it. Here's Fred Mertz again. Look at him smell his breath. You must mean two other trees. You worry. One of the oldest trees in Pottersville. Pottersville? Why, you mean Bedford Falls? I mean Pottersville. Don't think I know where I live? What's the matter with you? (laughs) I guess I just like sassy people, guys. I'm a fan of sassy fellas and gals. Isn't me? You know what's a great line? That's really funny. Here we go. Her, her nose was a broken. Her jaw was a shattered. Now, for my money, this this is the funniest scene in the movie. This is my idea of comedy. Come on, Gabe. This guy, Nick, the bartender, plays uh, a gangster. You won't be surprised. Uh, this is hear. this is the greatest drink order of all time. Okay, <laughs> a flaming rum punch. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not, not cold, cold enough for that. Wine, heavy on the cinnamon and light on the clothes. Oh, give me light and be lively. 
If you ever go into a bar and say, Mold wine. Yeah, look at this. I had mold wine the other night, and uh, and I did say off with you, off with you, lad, and be lively about it. He didn't think it was funny. Mm. He didn't. He didn't offer to slip me a left as a convincer, but didn't think it was funny. See the look on Nick's face during that drink order? That's the look that Justine gets. You got any money? No. No wonder you jumped in the river. I could have saved you so I could get my wing. Uh oh. Somebody just made it. Made what? Every time you hear a bell rings, it means that some angel's just got his wings. I love this part where Jimmy Stewart's covering his mouth so that Nick can't hear what he's saying. I like when he calls them pixies. <laughs> that other guy's got, he got his attention now. That does it. I'll shoot two pixies go through the door or out the window. What's Nick? What's wrong? <laughs> now, that's another thing. Where do you come off calling me Nick? Well, Nick, that's your name. What's that got to do with it? I don't know you from Adam's Off Ox. Adam's Off Ox? What the fuck oh, yeah. is that? I gotta look that up. This is heartbreaking. Look, The look on Gower's face is just... Panhandling around here, huh? <laughs> Cave, who are you laughing at? They don't make those things anymore where you can spray that thing in their face like that. <laughs> Only in, in the Three Stooges. I just told you how heartbreaking it was for me to see Gower like that, and you start laughing. <laughs> I know, but... You want, me to get, you want me to get you one of those for Christmas? Oh. It seems like that's all it's good for, spraying people in the face like in the Three Stooges. <laughs> so you watched Three Stooges, but you didn't watch uh, Bowery Boys. Interesting. So anyway, I was saying Nick is a gangster in an Abbott and Costello movie called Hit the Ice. He's like the main villain. It's great in that movie, too. You a fan of that one? I'm a fan of all Abbott and Costello. Uh, Adam's Off Ox dates back to the time when oxen were used to pull wagons. In its basic form, it's just saying that the person is entirely unknown to the speaker. So an off ox must be like sort of the, the reserve ox that you use if one of your other oxes is not even one of your main oxes that normally pulls your wagon. That's what I'm guessing. I mean, I know, I don't know you from Adam, but Adam's right. off ox. Okay, so Adam's off ox. Wow, that's, that's colorful. You got to give it to those folks. They knew how to talk. This form was recorded from Britain in a report of a court case at the London Sessions as far back as 1784. Quote, some man stopped me. I do not know him from Adam's off ox. What else are you? What are you? <laughs> and you know what? They never said like. Well, then why am I seeing all these strange things? You know, like, I don't know him, like, from Adam's off ox. If I wasn't born, who am I? You're nobody. You have no identity. Oh, what do you mean, no identity? My name's George Bailey. There is no identity. The word nobody has really been freaking me out lately. 
Have you noticed that half the half the human race says nobody in a different way than you say nobody? Nobody, nobody. You ever noticed that? Like N O B U D D Y. Think of the think of the character in uh, Days Confused. Uh, who who are you? Nobody. Nobody. Like the that's the Beatles say it. Like think listen to uh, uh, Eleanor Rigby. The way Paul McCartney says nobody, nobody came. It's freaking me out. You're screwy. There's that replacement home. song, Nobody, and Westerberg says it, Nobody. How am I doing, Joseph? Well, that's the way you should say it, but Nobody? Yes. Well, I didn't have no. a drink. Well, nobody. British. Not that's Nobody. So, Gabe, you, you, you don't think the ending of this movie is earning its... No, I didn't say that. I said it ended quick compared to the beginning and the half in the middle. I don't think but this... We're, I mean, I, I consider this whole section the, the ending, right? Yeah. We're two hours and five minutes... Yeah. We're two hours and five minutes into the movie, and so, Ben so finally... there's five minutes left. And Ben finally brought up the replacements. <laughs> we're only an hour and 53 minutes into the movie, I'll have you know. That's what I was thinking. I was like, there's no way we're five minutes left of this movie. That's in the, when we started our show. So some people have suggested that Pattersville looks like a lot more fun than Bedford Falls. She looks feral. She doesn't even look like the same person. Yeah. It's not my Gloria Graham. Do you think it looks more fun than Bedford Falls? Of course I do. I live in Pottersville. I moved out of Bedford Falls to live in Pottersville. Right. My my entire uh, my entire uh, thing is a fallacy. What, what is that line in Annie Hall? <laughs> when, when, my uh, raccoon had Marshall hepatitis. McLuhan says. <laughs> No, when Marshall McLuhan says, you you say my entire something is a fallacy. Yeah. Uh, George's striptease. There's that moon again. There's a really good special effect in this scene, by the way, that I don't think anybody ever really talks about. When uh, Clarence disappears, that is one smooth special effect. And I, I don't think I think of things being that smooth in 1946. Oh, you want to get noir? Look at that stuff. Jesus. That's what I'm saying. This you, is it. This sequence is the complete ultimate. with spider webs. But these silhouettes. Well, this I mean, the, the, the lighting is spectacular. Incredible. But this is not the most noir shot in the movie. It's coming up. 
Yeah, no, it's kind of talking about noir. Well, that's a whole other episode, Gabe. Yeah, look at that one. What do you mean? You don't know what noir is? No, half the people listening don't know what you're talking about. If people don't know what film noir is, we we, we can just we can just stop this right now. You've been talking about it the whole show. Have you not Googled it yet? No, how do you spell it? I don't know. N-O-F-I-L-M-N-O-I-R. Film noir. <laughs> but I can't wait to do this to you, bud. <laughs> I hate to do this to you, bud. It's curtains for you. Okay, watch this. Very nice. It's pretty good. Very nice. One of those great Dimitri Tompkin uh, music cues. Yeah. <laughs> it's as bad as the uh, John Williams music cue when they're chasing the shark. Hey, wait a minute. When it becomes a boy's adventure, that's not a good music cue. Oh, I love that cue. Yeah. All right, look at her. Yeah. I'm not even convinced I mean, it is the same actress. I know. I mean, it could be a little bit of makeup, but Jesus Christ, it's just... You're looking for a room. There's no it's like a different person. Something terrible's happened to me. I don't know what it is. Something's happened to everybody. Please let me come in. Do you know I don't think this... I, by the way, I don't think this is a toupee. I think he's still got his hair in this movie. Thank you. I don't think the toupee happened until Hitchcock days. Everybody you know... What you, your brother-in-law... I mean, look at that. That... Looks real. Yeah. Today over at his house. It's a lie. He's been the insane asylum. It's a lie. She fucking trapped him. Here it comes. Here it comes. This is the most noir shot. Look at that. Oh yeah. Just <laughs> sinks in. Oh. Man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Well, I've heard of things like this. You got me in some kind of a spell or something. Well, I'm going to get out of it. I'll get out of it. And I know how, too. I... The last man I talked to before all this stuff started happening to me was Martini. Was he, well, sure he walking around with that book? Honestly. Does he think he has time to read? Where did he get the book? Sure this is Bailey Park? Were they in a library together? Was it at the <laughs> bar? All I know is this should be Bailey Park. She's just leaving the library. No, he brought it down from heaven where, uh, imagine, there are no possessions. I wonder if you can because... He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Because he couldn't. Clarence Oddbody. Did you notice that, Gabe? That Clarence Oddbody's last name is Oddbody? I didn't notice it. You did or didn't? No, I did not. Because that's some that's some good trivia question right there. Look at that. George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence. Yes, George? Where's Mary? Oh, well, I, I, I can't. Uh... I don't know how you know these things, but tell me, where is she? I'm if you not... know where she is, tell me where my wife is. I'm not supposed to tell. Please, Clarence, tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? She's an old maid. 
Like, I love how that's the thing he's not supposed to tell. Like, that's the right, ultimate indignity. She's a librarian. Like, that's going to put him over the edge. <laughs> you, were, you were able to tell him everything else? What's the point of being here? She's about to close up the library. It's a bridge too far. Right. Yes, this is the part that sends people. Yeah. That sends uh, the uh, millennials running for their their Twitter feed. Yeah. I mean, I can under like. There's that great scene in Menace to Society, where you know he's living with his his grandparents and they love watching this movie and uh fuck i forget what the main character's name is but he's just looking at them like are you guys crazy what are you watching this movie for i get that i understand but uh everybody else could just take a hike Boom. I hate to do this to you. <laughs> this is what I don't get. A crowd of people is going to start shooting. It's Pottersville, man. Like cops don't do that. So, Gabe, do you see uh, Tom Hanks as the new Jimmy Stewart? Or do you think there's no comparison? I don't think there's a comparison. I, I don't know. Glad to hear that. Now, Scott, does a movie like this... Is a movie like this the exception to your rule of thumb that you are not opposed to remakes? Let me live again. Like, doesn't oh. it seem it completely idiotic for anyone to... No one should even try it. I mean, even though there have been unofficial remakes. Hey, I think um, there's even been official remakes. It was like a TV movie. Wasn't yeah, there Marlo Thomas? I, I think there's a Marlo Thomas. Oh, well, if Marlo Thomas is in it, I, I, I have no opposition <laughs> to anything that Marlo Thomas would be in. Uh-huh. But yeah, if anybody tried to do a serious, like, you know, if... If Steven Spielberg tried to do one with Tom Hanks, uh, there there should be a revolt in the streets. Yeah, I mean, what else is on your list of unremakable films? Because I immediately think of Jaws, West Side Story. Did you go in? Did you did you check it out? Yeah, yeah of course I did. I, I love Spielberg and I love West Side Story. So I, I was, I think I saw it the day it came out. And it was good. No. Oh, okay. It, it, it's not that it's not good. It's just it's pointless. It, it's not going to replace. Oh, this is great. It's not going to replace the original. It, it can't. I understand why it should be made, but aside from the casting, all right, there it is, Gabe. That that's I've done that a few times. Yeah. Uh, running down Sheridan Road when it was blizzard. Best times of my life. At Next two time in the morning. Well, yeah. There it goes. Happy New Year in jail. Go on home. That's a zinger, man. 
Go that home. They're, go home. They're waiting for you. Ugh. Wow. All right, so Gabe, were you crying when this thing came t around? It's okay. You can tell us. No one else is listening. I did get a little puffy-eyed and felt a little something around this time. Did Heidi notice it? I don't know. I don't know if she did. I don't know if she had a tear or not, but she, I don't know if she's seen it before. She probably did. She must have seen this before. I, I, I have a hard time believing she hasn't seen it before. Yeah, when he did that to the thing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, the thing about this movie, it, it, it's very therapeutic for me. Um, and as much as I absolutely hate people and I think they're the worst, uh, this movie makes me want to think that they're not so bad. And people have the capacity to surprise you. And, you know, and I've been through it, honestly, over these past couple of years, I've been through a few situations that were very George Bailey-esque, where people that, uh, you know, people that like the band have really come to, uh, to our rescue in ways, you know. And I've had a few situations like this. I mean, I, I've been George Bailey a couple of times. Um... And that's what I love about this movie. I mean, I refuse to be cynical about it. And it feels good to have at least one place where you can go and just go, hey, uh, let's, let's think there's good in people. Let's, let's um, shield ourselves from the constant bickering and awfulness. Well, and Your I thoughts? Think well, I think that, that, that the fact that this movie does get so dark. You're right, it's does, earned. It, 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 right, the redemption is earned. And I think that it's a lesson that, of all people, George Miller learned when he made Babe, Pig in the City, which is another movie that is so dark. We're going to do, do that next year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is, is, is Mary the hero in this movie? Yeah. Yeah, she's the kind of she's the kind of girl that help you find the answers. That's what his mother tells him, and, and she is. Uh, but everyone in the movie is the hero. Like you know, like 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 you said earlier, Ben. Like you know, Potter is completely wrong. Potter has no faith. Oh, here it comes. <laughs> Potter is completely wrong about people. He is completely cynical. And, you know, we have people today who are in politics and, and entertainment that, that exploit that cynicism that says, we're all irredeemable. Fuck it. Let's let the country burn. Uh, and that's how they get to where they are. And this movie refuses to do that. and Merry Christmas. Sam Wainwright. <laughs> Even Sam Wainwright. Which one is Sam redeemable. Wainwright? He's the one who tried to get him on the ground you know, floor. Right. He's the guy who was two timing on uh, Donna Reed. Oh, okay. Look at her. Look at Donna Reed. 
<laughs> oh man. There he goes. Even the bank examiner gets in and do it. <laughs> that I don't know if I buy. That. What? The bank that examiner? Might be a too far that he yeah, that he tosses in some money. <laughs> he is I got one problem with this movie. The bank examiner giving money. Oh, here we go, guys. Oh, I can't take it. I, I, I got I gotta fucking get out of here. Harry, the way he says Harry. That's it. <laughs> if you're not done, that'll do it. There's the book. What does old Lang Syne mean? Um, I used to know before I became a blubbering, crying idiot. Uh, I think old means old. And then uh, for old acquaintances, is that what it is? I mean, that's what they start singing about, but I don't know. Well, are you going to look it up? Yeah, I'm doing it. Don't leave me hanging, man. Old long since. Oh. But the meaning is more like old times, the olden days. Okay. Zuzu can't sing for shit. Liberty Films. Have you ever seen another movie that has Liberty Films in it? Oh, it's still going. Thomas Mitchell. Where's Alfalfa? Samuel S. Hines as Pa Bailey. I wonder if he's related to Syrian Hines. Nick Sheldon Leonard. Sheldon Leonard, baby. Hit the ice. Where's Alfalfa? I didn't see Alfalfa. Uh, he must have been towards the beginning if he's listed in that. He might not be listed. Uh, Paramount. Well, all right. We did it. Our first <laughs> Christmas. It's a Wonderful Lifers episode. You know, that... I think How many people do you think are still with us right now? Maybe Everybody. Four? And I think that uh, we're going to start getting calls from Kino Lorber and a whole bunch of boutique <laughs> labels. They're going to want us to do these. Hi, guys. We, we want an It's a Wonderful Life uh, commentary where you guys say fuck over and over. We're thinking that's going to go over really well with the families. I want to be... I want to spend El Christmas in Elmira with my families, motherfucker. <laughs> All right, well, well, it worked. It did what it's supposed to do. Yeah, gave I'm impressed that you can that you can turn on the waterworks in the middle of a commentary. I didn't like turn them on. It's not how it works. He couldn't turn them off. <laughs> 
I so, got I had a headache from watching it this afternoon and crying so much. I, at the end of it, I was like, oh, I got this fucking crying headache. It's a good cry, Ben. Uh, so, Gabe, this was your second time watching it in two days. You're off to a you're off to a good start. Yes, I'm good for the year. No, 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 no. You should put it on. Uh, on Christmas, at least, maybe Christmas Eve. Why don't you listen to yourself talk about the movie? No, I can't listen to myself talk about the podcast in general. <laughs> How am I going to watch? No. Yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody, and uh, have a good one. I mean, I, I know things look like it's going to get a little dire again, but um, it's not all bad. You know, I'm very excited because I think there's a chance that Gabe might start watching this movie more and he, he could become a real fan. I really feel like I've broken through to Gabe in some way and uh, I, I've, I've uh, I don't know, I think I've changed your life in some way. Like, I think if I could see this world as if I hadn't <laughs> now been Now I born, know why Gabe doesn't want to play along with these things. This is the, this is the reward you get to make a well, speaking, speech about. Actually. Speaking of uh, the beat kitchen, this will be my first New Year's Eve where oh. I'm missing a, a local eight show. And uh, don't, you don't sorry have to, to say you don't have to miss it, Cabe. Yeah, it's 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 not gonna it's not gonna be there. I'm not. I, can, I can send Harry Bailey to pick you up in a blizzard. <laughs> but uh, I'll be there in spirit. Since the early 90s, Scott, I've spent my New Year's Eve with, with you in some way or shape or form, except last year, I think, and maybe one minute in between where you didn't play a show. But Well, we'll beam you in. So, we, you know, you can at least this way, me in. at least this way, you won't have to be covered in blood <laughs> or have to wear a bear <laughs> costume or have to I walk around for you. in a Godzilla costume. See, all the things that you said you didn't want to do. See, Gabe, you really had a wonderful life. And and you just didn't realize it. That are you Clarence Thomas here? Or, that, or, uh, Clarence <laughs> yeah, Thomas. I'm Clarence Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been great and and edifying and soul cleansing and uh, to all. Wait, what? What is the line? Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe help to make the season bright. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight. They know that Santa's on his way He 
He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy To see if reindeer really know how to fly And so I'm offering this simple phrase To kids from one to ninety-two Although it's been said Many times, many ways Merry Christmas to Thank you. 